For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is Steve Traxel, and I used to pitch like I like my barbecue, low and slow. You're listening to Baseball and Barbecue with Jeff and Lynn. Studios of Baseball and BBQ on Long Island, New York. This is episode number 220 of Baseball and Barbecue. I'm Jeff the Coot Cohen, and that's Leonard Hollywood Aberman. And we welcome you back to our program, Leonard. Wow. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here. So glad. Episode 220. I love the, I love the, uh, you know, the fives, the tens, you know, when you get to, for some reason, 220 seems like a big episode. Is it? Well, I think it is because, Jeff, we've got two big guests, so it must ah. be. Yeah. We got a baseball guest and a barbecue guest, right? Well, we- let me let me, let me me correct you there. <laughs> we, we don't have a baseball guest. We oh. have a softball guest. Oh, yeah. That's, but... You know what? Fast pitch softball. Yes, we do. Yes. And I I, I bet you that they, they could probably strike out some of those major league hitters. <laughs> they just might. Wow. I mean, that ball, that watching them play, and we talk all we talk about that with our guests. So let's tell you who our guests are. All right. Let's not leave the audience in suspense, Jeff. They hate when we do that. Do 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 We've got Chris Marks. Chris Marks may be, well, I don't know if he's the winningest guy in barbecue, but he's certainly one of. And he his company is Three Little Pigs. He talks all about his competition career and his family, the business, how he is, you know, carrying on his parents' legacy. And and Jeff, he was just what a what a great guy to talk to. And a lot of fun. That was a lot yes, of fun. Definitely, yes. And then of course we have a fast pitch softball player who is now uh she's an assistant coach. And uh that is Elizabeth Mason. She's gonna talk all about the game, all about her career. Two great interviews. We're gonna get right to them. And I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but I know everyone's waiting to hear that you're going to have a rant. So, oh, yeah, I know. I I wanted people to to not skip ahead to the next ah. interview after one <laughs> okay. ends, right? Okay. 
Oh, okay, okay. Because <laughs> you know they love your rants. All right, so let me tell everybody, with the NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered with all the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and information on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get into the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use your promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online. It is where the game starts. And how are we going to be starting, Leonard? Let's get right to it. Let's get to Chris Marks of Three Little Pigs. It's going to talk about everything under the sun with barbecue. I'm looking forward to it. Baseball and barbecue listeners, our guest, if he was a baseball team, I don't, he wouldn't be the Yankees. I don't think he has as many. Maybe he, he might actually be the, the, the New York Yankees Yankees or Dodgers. Isn't a bad play. Yeah. Of, of barbecue. The man has just eight American Royals. That alone is enough. He's got 50 regional championships, 24 perfect scores, over 600 individual barbecue awards. He's got rubs and sauces that you're going to learn all about. He is one of the greats of barbecue, a very humble man from everything I've heard. And the one thing that he would like to have on his tombstone, not that he's going anywhere so soon. Oh, but, almost, almost did that in uh, 18. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. Yeah, but, but he'd like to have it say he was a nice guy. So, Absolutely. So we'll talk about all of that. Welcome to Baseball and Barbecue, Chris Marks. Well, very humbled and very excited. I'm a huge baseball guy. Grew up with it. Like I was saying, I grew up with Whitey Herzog's son. Grew up in, you know, the 70s yeah. around the Kauffman Stadium with Brett and that whole crew. And, you know, I'm a baseball guy. All well, right. That, that's why we have you on, Chris. We, <laughs> we knew that. We The barbecue. Pff, ah, yeah, you know. yeah, that's boring. <laughs> Actually, let's start with that because Jeff and I did... We, we celebrated our 200th episode this summer, and we rewarded ourselves by taking a trip to Kansas City, and it was amazing. Yeah. Went to Slaps, yeah, went to uh, Jack Stack, went to Arthur, Arthur Bryant's. Well, great. Stadium. Yeah. yeah. So Jack Stack, I'm actually going to Jack Stack for my wife's birthday here in a couple of weeks. That's how much I like Jack Stack. I love Jack Stack. We're heading to the one in Lee's Summit. And it's just a great place, been around forever, and it was my dad's favorite. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, let's, okay, let's talk about your dad, because, so I've done a lot of research. One of our guests once said, boy, you really dug, you you did, you dug deep to find stuff. I said, I I dug, I dug so deep you could put a body in it. (laughs) So I did, I did a lot of (laughs) research. A lot of research on you and uh, Chris. So tell us how you got your start in, in barbecue and your love of barbecue. Well, my love of barbecue we've had for quite a while, but it really started because my dad, who was a senior exec at Hallmark Cart, corporate Kansas City, retired. And my mom said, find him something to do. He's driving me absolutely crazy. 
And, you know, he'd been sort of meddling around in the barbecue deal and him and my uncle, they made their own little smoker. So, so for his retirement party, we bought him an Oklahoma Joe trailer. Now I'm, I'm talking the original Oklahoma Joe built by Joe Davison mm-hmm. uh, out okay. of uh, Perry, Oklahoma. And what had happened is, you know, it's on a trailer, it's a big old barrel. He was hooked. He was absolutely hooked. And what it did is it just enlightened his life for the latter part of his life, made a great life for him. Uh, he had friends all over the world. And he was a big part of the KCBS, him and my mom. They helped really develop it back in the 90s, early 90s. You know, I sort of fell in with him because my mom, he had a tendency to wander. He was he was sort of that guy that, you know, just wandered around wanting to talk to everybody and not paying attention. So my mom brought my me in and I was pretty much the cook. At what and, age? Uh, 27. You were 27? I started. And I'm okay. 63 right now. Okay. It's a good run. That's good. (laughs) It's it's been an unbelievable run. And uh, it it was a very passionate hobby. It's very, I mean, it was my, me and myself and my sisters are all athletes. My mom's an athlete. My dad was not. And this was sort of something that brought us all together. And it was just, I just, it was so heartfelt, Leonard. I really can't explain it. How, how we just, we grew just so tight because of barbecue. That's nice. You would never think. Yeah. And uh, very blessed. Yeah. And they've left a great legacy in barbecue. Yeah, that's nice. What What you said you were into, you were a, an athlete. What sport? I bet it was baseball, football, and swimming. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I was baseball. I loved, I, I had a great run of baseball. I got to start when I was, a, a in the, these were large schools in Kansas City. We had about mm-hmm. 7,800, which is a big, in our classes. And I, right. you know, I, I got to start when I was a sophomore all the way through my senior year. Oh. Um, did ended up wounded by uh. the end of my senior year because I was a catcher uh. and uh, never went past that. But I still had the love for baseball. All my kids played softball or baseball, and I, I just loved it. It never leaves you, never leaves you. Never leaves you. And me yep, being absolutely. Lefty. <laughs> So, you know, you talked about your, your father getting you started in, in barbecue. And now I see, you know, on your website, 50 National uh, Barbecue Champion, 600 Awards. You must have gone all over the United States. I don't know if you went internationally to uh, to do barbecues. But tell us about the, the barbecue community. I know, you know, we've talked before we uh, started recording that you know some of our guys. You know Artie Davis. You know Mitch Benjamin. I mean, you must yeah. have talked to, talk to us about the barbecue community and, and where you, you barbecue has taken you. Well, okay, let, let's start about the barbecue community as as it started okay. okay when we started in the barbecue community it was really sort of a down home with a lot you didn't see a lot of these big trailers you didn't see any of that most of us worked out of tents and we had some little smokers i mean our, our smokers cost you know r2d2 type smokers Weber smoky mountain right things like that that's where this hobby really started now what it's done sort of grown to now where everybody has to have big trailer and big dooleys and pull all over. But but where it started, it started at that core guy who just wanted to learn barbecue. When we learn it, we got it pretty good at it. Let's see who we can beat. So I'm, I'm that guy. I'm, I want to see who I can beat. And that's, mm-hmm. again, where it started. It, it, it sort of evolved into this, this huge, now, you know, you have to have 
you know, big sponsors. You have to do 50 contests a year. You know, Jeff, we only did maybe most 15 contests a year. And we traveled the Midwest primarily. We'd head, to, you know, we'd head down south. We'd do Louisiana. We'd do Mississippi, Alabama, places like that. Uh, Colorado, Frisco, unbelievable place to do barbecue in Frisco, Colorado, between the mountains. A lot of Iowa, Nebraska, Wisconsin. And, and, and places like that is really where we our core was at. When we were doing this, there wasn't a lot past that. You would head more up to the upper Midwest. You wouldn't see any barbecue contest. They were really concerned in our area. So you see Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, Nebraska, Kansas, not even really Illinois. But we had a majority of the contest for the first 15 years. And it's really branched out since there. But but that's where it's grown. And, and it, it's sort of grown from the good old boys to now where it's more almost like a NASCAR. So you yeah. almost have a you have to have that sponsor. You have to have, you know, somebody pumping you. You know, for a season, some of these guys are dropping 100 to 150K. Wow. And just expenses. And yeah. again, that's not where it started. That has a tendency to push a lot of people out now. Of course, you know, I do barbecue classes all across the country. And I hear mm-hmm. a lot of that is, you know, we're, we're only doing one or two contests this year. It's gotten too expensive. You know, we, we just we just really want to do it for fun. But it's just gotten to the point where I just can't do it anymore. I remember... There was a competition. It was a KCBS. It was in Staten Island. And uh, we went to that. And yeah, there was one area they have for all the trailers. You know, you get all the trailers are there. Yeah. And those the people in the trailers, you don't see them. And then there's an area where they have the people that have the, there were tents set up. There were people with their Weber Smoky Mountains. And they're sitting there and they're talking to us. And I was asking all sorts of questions because at the time I was first starting to get into barbecue. I mean, I had a grill, but I didn't have a smoker and I wanted Absolutely. to learn. And we were sitting there and they said, sit there. They didn't offer any food, <laughs> but <laughs> but they but they said, you know, ask us anything you want to know. And then the trailers and the, you know, it's almost like, I hate to bring it back to baseball, but it's like the small market teams and the, and the big oh, boy. teams. Oh boy. That, that is spot on. Spot, great call. Great call. Yeah. And, and, and what you'll notice with the, the small market teams is how giving they are with information. And that's the way we always were. My, my one thing my parents always said is once we're done, give. Give it away. You know, let everybody know what you're doing. And and that's we pretty much did that anyway, all the time. But that is such a great conclusion on the current state of barbecue right now, because you, you do have your little guys and then the big guys. And do the little guys have a chance against the big guys? You know, Not much. Good call. <laughs> you know, who can spend seven hundred million dollars on a player? Right. Right. That's right. You know? I yeah. think one of those rigs was Shoei Otani's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good call. Exactly. Oh. Yes. But you know, you you talk about sponsorship. So these teams that have all these sponsors, they I guess they get given meat or from, from the meat producers or they or they buy them at they, they actually get a discount. discount. Yes, yeah, some, yeah. some will get meat, but uh-huh. most are given a discount. Right. Uh, that's sort of the way the sponsorships work. 
Now, there, there's a lot of private sponsorships where they'll give them money. Now, some of the bigger teams, you're going to have a, a probably 15, 20 of the teams. And those are going to be the guys who are doing 30 and 40 contests a year, which I think is absolutely insane. And they're probably getting maybe a big sponsor, 20 grand. But again, uh, it, it, it comes down to, you know, the big guy and versus the little guy. And the, that guy who does that contest 30 and 40 times a year, he has such a better edge over some guy who's just going to pop up and try. Right. And what happens is that guy who pops up and tries, yeah, now this was okay. I spent a lot of money. Will I do it the next time? Maybe. Maybe. You know, right. you know right. what I mean? Yes. So, yes. Again, it's sort of where it's, it's migrating to. And it's unfortunate, but again, mm-hmm. it's just like you watch NASCAR. So let, let's talk about Three Little Pigs. That's your website. That's your uh, brand. And you are yeah. the C- CBBQE, the yeah, Chief Barbecue, Chief Barbecue Expert. Expert. I get to make up my own. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, the, the the website is threelittlepigsbbq.com. Now, there's a dash between three and little and little and pigs and pigs. Yeah, and I, I was never able to get that other one. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I try. I went to that other one and it came up. It was like a food truck or something. Yeah, it's a food truck. Yeah. 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 So don't forget the dashes. But yeah, tell us about your, your brand, Three Little Pigs, Rubs and Sauces. I mean, it's well, tremendous. You, you, you know, it, it, you have it, a great it, story for it. it. It's a total morph for barbecue. Okay. I was an IT guy 28 years. What I think right now, I'd be t- talking barbecue. No, absolutely not. Three <laughs> Little Pigs started from after, and, and here's sort of a little bit of backstory too. My father was the one who really started all this. Me, my mom and dad and his uncle, my uncle moved into it after my father passed away. My father passed away one month before we won the Invitational at the American Royal for the first time. Oh, wow. I wasn't even going to do it. I was so just I was so just flat. I just I was out of it. I mean, but it didn't. So it started there. And he had made the sauces, the competition barbecue sauce. He had made the chipotle sauce and he had made a bunch of the rubs already. And those were his and my mom's and myself. We developed them during competition seasons. What a great honor is I took the competition sauce and I took the money that we won with the American Royal and I developed it. And that's where the rubs and the sauces really started. I continued to develop on as we won more. I would use them to develop the rubs. So it's my legacy to my parents. That's That's what the rubs and the sauces are about. They're Mm -hmm. the legacy to my parents. Right. And I'm very proud of them. They do very well across the world. But again, they're heartfelt to me. That's how they started. And I take them very serious. I work at it very hard. I would just calculate my classes for last year. I did do my 500th class last year. Oh, wow. Barbecue specific. And that was done down at Branson, Missouri. So I promote the rubs and sauces with the barbecue classes. And I'll do about 43 to 45 a year. And that's hopping it. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm moving all over. Uh, Biggest territories are usually upper Midwest. I do a lot in Chicago. Of course, Chicago's got 9 million people. And they love barbecue up there. And they would have me every week if they can get me up in Chicago. But again, I, I like to morph, I morph the, the business into really doing the rubs and sauces and doing the classes. I don't cater. I don't have a restaurant because that's like really hard, guys, by the way. Yes. <laughs> I mean, 
I'd rather drive around, talk to people yes. instead of <laughs> work behind the counter. <laughs> but that that's sort of where it's all got, came from. It came from really that that starting of, you know, how can I build that legacy to my parents? And again, my dad's passed, been passed away 26 years now. And my mom has been right at about 15 mm. or 16. Mm. And uh, it's still just in my heart like they were here yesterday and talking barbecue. And, you know, that that's my story. And, and that's why I, you know, I, I take it so serious and I promote everybody goes, why do you work so hard? I go, because it's my parents legacy. And that is truthfully, that's why. Yeah. And you, your uh, sauces and rubs, you told me earlier that they're in Ace Hardware, what, 5,800 stores? Oh, they're in Ace. Uh, we're in their total overall about 55,000 stores, I think, is what wow. they're telling me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're Ace. by us. We have plenty of Aces by us. Yes. And uh, they're they're owned by, they're all uh, Costello Ace yeah. Hardware stores. That's one of my favorite things to do. Is- well, I, let, me, let me tell you what, Ace has got it together in barbecue. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were fortunate enough out in our area to have Westlake Lace, Westlake Ace. And they really, really knew how to do barbecue. And, you know, I, just, I was just at the Ace show in Orlando. And I tell you what, it's outstanding. They just do an outstanding job in barbecue. Yeah. And they get it. And I think a reason they get it is because they worked with the guys from Kansas City and saying, hey, guys, here's a real niche you can fill. Nobody else really wants to deal with these guys and they took off with it and it's done extremely well and ace is just ace is just good to work with yeah Mm -hmm. yeah their their shelves are stacked uh, they're they're Mm -hmm. with and that's there's they take barbecue serious yeah you know you don't put one or two yeah you know you put them all and and you see what the customers want then you migrate down from there i'm also in lowe's hardware i've been in lowe's probably for i don't know probably 10 years and they carry two. They carry the Touch of Cherry and Championship. Bass Pro has been very, very good to me for about ten or twelve years. Of course, Corporate Springfield, Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, True Value, Orschland, which is again, I probably don't know Orschland out in the East Coast, but that's a big hardware store here. But again, been very fortunate, and I work with a great partner, Old World Spices. Unbelievable. Started that's this your, market. Yeah. That's your co-packer. This, yeah. My co-packer, they're the ones who opened up this hardware market for everybody. You obviously eight times winning the American Royal. Biggest people will argue whether it's the, you know, some people will argue other competitions. The American Royal. It's the, it's the biggest in the world. Just don't get yeah. around it. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, yeah, okay. Everybody so no, argues. Yeah. Right. Do they ask you to be there? They, you know, it's like almost like a golf tournament where they want their some players don't go to every tournament. Does the American Royal right. make sure that you're there every year? Great question. So this was my 30th year this year. And truthfully, no, I, I don't really know since they've had such the transition of new people in there. They even have a clue about their legacy. That's a shame. I really don't because they have a great legacy just with people and barbecue and, you know, it's just, I really don't think they understand their legacy because no, uh, the new people wouldn't know me from Adam, Yeah, but the old, you know, the guy originally who started it, which was James Patterson, who, if, if you ever remember that name, he was the owner of Cerner. He knew me because again, we presented a great, you know, we were just, again, we were that team that helped everybody. 
And that's what he liked. What changed from your first American Royal to now? Oh, number one's commercialism. So our first American Royal would have been, oh man, 30 years ago. I mean, so probably 90, well, actually probably 92 or three right in there was our first American Royal, I think. What I've noticed is again, commercialism to where it was everybody in the American Royal, we'd all walk around and talk to everybody. Now what you're seeing is you're seeing big parties. Again, you look at the, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a tent now with 500, 600 people coming into it right. instead of a tent of four or five barbecuers. Who am I going to, and that tent's going to have 500 people paying $20 to get in. So again, I think it's gone a lot more commercial than competitions, seriousness. It's like Does the it still Bowl. have the legacy is, is the best in the world? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, as it's migrated through different kinds of, I want to say, groups of people, I think they've sort of focused it more on revenue than true barbecue. Right. Would you say it's like the Super Bowl, Chris? Because, you know, they. Oh, absolutely. Right. That's. Yeah. It's there. You know, they, they, you get all these companies that bring in their whoever come into to it. And a halftime entertainer. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, there are. There's so many parties you can't understand. It, it's so noisy. Have you ever been to one? No, no, no. It, yeah. it was. It is just unbelievable, especially when it was down in the west bottoms of Kansas City, and it was just like an. It was under viaducts. It was just. It was wild. It was I'm, like you're out in a field, and it was just wild. Just the people. It just. Just. It was just raw, and now out at the uh, the racetrack, they've really cleaned it up a lot. They do a great job with it in and out, super simple. But again, it just still doesn't have that legacy presence as you would down in the bottoms. Because right. it can get pretty nasty down there. Let's, let's talk about your uh, cooker of choice. When you go to the, the American Royale, when you're doing any competition, what, what what are you using? One, actually, I have two, and they're both American-made. Of course, my Oklahoma Joe. Mm-hmm. And it's in the process of being rebuilt right now. My cousin's actually rebuilding it, and that's after about 35 years. So it's, again, it's the big barrel tank, and it's basically the horizon. If you go look at a horizon, that is what my Oklahoma Joe is. I also use a model called the Goodwin Smoker, which is where basically it's it's an over-under, and uh, I used the Marshall for years, and I was fortunate enough to work there for about seven or eight years, and I redesigned a lot of their models, and that Mm -hmm. Marshall is my redesign. When Jeff and I... uh... I don't think we were prepared when we got off that plane in Kansas City. It is barbecue is a a main focus. I mean, it I, it's unbelievable. The, there's a big sign there for the American Royal. Meet Mitch has a a, a restaurant right in the airport. So you've flown, like, flown into the new airport. Yeah. Yes. The, right. The new yeah. airport. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I was just yeah. there yesterday. So when you pull out of the airport, what does it say? Kansas City barbecue. <laughs> Huge sign. Meet our mayor, Quentin Lucas, right there. Barbecue. Yeah. The gift shops there. I mean, it's just sauces (laughs) and rubs and, and, you know, funny sayings all about barbecue and shirts and hats. And it's, yeah, it is definitely a town that is barbecue is a main theme. Um, You've got over a hundred barbecue restaurants in, in Kansas city, right? Is that, so it, it is a true destination for barbecue. 
Absolutely. There's a new one. Uh, and uh, so what we do in barbecue, so understand the different regions. We have a lot of regionality and I, I teach a lot of regions. So I do a lot of work in Texas. I do a lot of work in Chicago, St. Louis. We're all different regions. Okay. So again, what it is, is it, it's about the barbecue. It's about how to take a method and technique and get to that area to where I can make it regional. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what I teach in a class. I, I don't teach competition class. Mm-hmm. I teach the guy who wants to be really good. And I teach more science than I do anything else. I teach about smoke. I teach about fire. And I teach about heat and how to get there. But yep. where I was going with this is with, with Kansas City, we're starting to see some more regionality of Texas. So whereas traditionally Kansas City, we're going to have a lot of sauce. We're going to primarily cook beef, chicken. Don't Again, we weren't big pork cookers in Kansas City other than loins. Pulled pork up until 10 years ago, nobody knew what pulled pork was. Mm. I mean, we use sliced loin. And you go to Bryant's, you go to Gates, you get sliced loin. You don't get pulled pork. You still don't it there. You still get your slice, which I love, by the way. So I'm working with a guy out of Raytown. He's more of a Texas-style cooker. So a no sauce, a lot of pepper, salt, garlic, and a lot of sausage. And it, it's a great restaurant. But like I say, it's it's don't ever snub anybody's region. Right. Try it. You can try all this different stuff, you know, and, and that's the great thing about this hobby is try it all. You know, so many people get caught up that it's got to be Kansas City. It's got to be Texas. You got to cook your brisket fat side up. You got you got to do this. You got to do that. No, have fun with it. And that's, that's great. what I do with it now. I just have fun with it. That's great advice. Uh, you know, uh, Len mentioned some rubs earlier, and I see on your website you have new products coming out for 2024. And uh, if you can talk about it with Absolutely. our audience, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, uh, again, as world as everything develops, I get requests from retailers. We want more. We want more. And I'm one guy. But again, mm-hmm. I'm fortunate enough to work with Old World, who has the science, the, the food scientist. And I'll go in and, and we'll have multiple meetings. And we'll develop new rubs. These rubs, a lot of them, I've worked for years on them. It's just, again, it's all about timing on how to bring them out and when to bring them out. So I'm coming out with a pecan rub. I've loved pecan forever. Actually, my dad had a pecan rub. And uh, this is part of it. It's not the whole thing because it would have been too expensive. But this is a new rub. I'm coming out with a couple rubs where I've been requested to put a little heat into them. So when mm-hmm. people talk about heat, you know, we talk about cayenne, we talk about different kinds of peppers to use. So we're doing this a little bit unique. We're going to use serrano peppers, which, again, okay. a lot of people don't use. Of course, I'm going to use a jalapeno and a chipotle, which I'm I'm a chipotle guy. I love chipotle type flavor because of how the chipotle works. If you understand how the chipotle works, it works what we call front to back. So basically, you get a little bit on your tongue, you have a little sweetness, and then it works back. But it's not overwhelming like a habanero. So again, it gives you a good bite. You never want to do anything too hot because people won't buy it. So the next one is going to be a spicy maple, and it is outstanding. My son-in-law, I mean, we've been testing it out, and he's he's taking all my product. He keeps taking it all. (laughs) 
Of course, all my kids take all my product. That's why my freezers are always empty when I come Uh home. Uh, But again, the spicy honey maple is unbelievable on pork. He's just going crazy with the pork. But what he's done now is he'll take the Texas beef and he'll mix the spicy honey maple on brisket and also on beef ribs. And it's just going to work. It's a great rub. It's it's just a great, unique rub. When you open it up, you get that great maple hit, and it will do well. The other rub I'm doing, and this is by request, and my dad had done this for years, we're doing a, uh, a lemon pepper, and we're putting a little, little bite in that lemon pepper. So it's sort cool. of a spicy lemon pepper. Cool. Again, sort of been on the back burner for three or four years. As again, it comes down to timing. And the timing is good right now for me. Of course, you know, going through it to develop a rubber or sauce is not an easy thing. Now, I want to yeah. let the people know yeah. that on, on the label, there is the type of food that you can put the that works best with, with these rubs. Beef, Absolutely. Chicken, fish, pork. I mean, that, I need that. So people, so people yeah. know what works best. So that, that's and, a great, great yeah. ad that you have on the label there. Yeah, that yeah, is and good. That, and yeah, that, that does help because people don't know. Right. Yeah. But again, you know, that, and that's, that's been just the ability to be able to do that again, working with a great partner that really makes it, I mean, just work. And and what about the smoke and cherry pretzels? Now that is. Well, unfortunately, those have sort of gone away. Oh, and, and that was sort of a try. I probably should take that off. Uh, that was sort <laughs> of a try. We did some pretzels okay. and uh, they were so good, but they're so expensive to make. All right. And the other thing is the life cycle of a pretzel is not very long. They have a tendency <laughs> to, to bland out really quick. But uh, that was actually a toffee. We made a toffee with a touch of cherry rub. And we put that toffee on that pretzel. Man, it was good. I mean, it was not good for you, but it was good. But again, what we noticed is the costing costing to develop was just out, just out, way out there. Well then, I don't want to talk about it because I feel like I feel like. <laughs> oh, it was geez. good. Oh man, they were good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, thanks for telling me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody, you cannot get those. Don't even look at them. Not get those anymore. <laughs> They're not available. It costs too much to make. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you go on Shark Tank and you get an investor, and <laughs> no, that sounds that sounds like really hard. <laughs> that's stressful i'm going the other way stress i don't like that stress right exactly so chris what do you what do you think came first then the um the competitions more of those or was it the tv shows that then created more competitions what what's what was i first? think you said it i think you said it exactly correct the competitions first competitions remember we we have multiple sanctioning bodies across the United States, actually across the world. Of course, KCBS being the biggest, you have LSB out of Texas, ICBA out of Texas, other organizations have been around a long time. I think that's where it started. Now, understand the shows came from the South. Okay, you don't see any kind of Texas or really true Midwest guys in those shows. Those are primarily from the South. Again, the show started there. But again, they they brought it to another level, just put more exposure onto it. 
But I think right now what's happening is we're having a flattening of what I call the curve. The curve sort of starting to flatten out a little bit. People are sort of going their own ways. I think YouTube during the COVID was pretty popular, but mm-hmm. I think YouTube sort of faded out also. Uh, we actually call that uh, YouTube University and barbecue because so many people <laughs> get confused by watching YouTube University. So I sort of see that flattening out also. The one thing I don't see flattening out is the ability to do classes. Uh, I've already got 35 on the books for 24. And I could wow. probably do 50 if I wanted to. Yeah. And so again, I think I think the hobby's flattening a little bit and people are sort of looking for direction. Uh, SCA, if you notice about the stake, right. I think the stake's done a really, stake associations have done a really good job of sort of picking up the ball and running with it a little bit. And now, you know, so we got a little bit cheaper way to do this. You know, it's not that expensive. It's a one-day event, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, again, I think SCA's done a pretty good job of picking that up and running with that ball to help those guys who who really put off by the extreme costs and extreme time. I mean, you, you talk about a contest. You're there on Friday. You're cooking all Friday night, Saturday. You're you're prepping the whole week before, and then that whole weekend, you're, you're cleaning up all day Sunday and getting ready to do it all over again. Right. And whereas an SCA contest, that's like a one-day deal. Which, which amazes me that the people that are doing 30, 40, or more contests a year, that's the, basically that's their life. I mean, they work during the week, and then Friday or whatever, they're prepping, and they're at the Absolutely. contest. And then it's, it's unbelievable. I just think that's a little bit overwhelming. You know, when and there's guys that are doing 40 and 50 contests a year. And it's just, and, and the amazing thing is, what what awards are you trying to get? Well, I'm trying to get team of the year. Well, how much does that pay? Oh, that doesn't pay a lot. So, so you know, what what's the deal, you know? I, I just I just don't get it. How's that? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I love cruising around your website. Again, it's three-little-pigs-bbq.com. And if you go on there, I, I I looked at some of your videos, and you were trimming a, a brisket. And if anybody wants to trim a brisket, you have to watch this video because Chris does a great job of showing you how, how to actually do the trimming. So, Chris, could you take us through that? Well, again, when it comes to barbecue, it, it, everybody makes it so damn hard, and it's so easy. And, you, you know, you get out there. Trimming a brisket, we do different styles. I mean, we have a Midwest style, you have a Texas style. I do primarily Midwest. So we'll, we'll separate the point from the flat because we like those burn ends, don't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love the burn ends. Meat candy. I know. And, and that's actually what I teach in class. I teach the Midwest style brisket and I teach people how to separate the point from the flat. If you want to cook them separate, do it. And so I'll show them how to point, you know, cook a flat separate and cook the point. And, you know, so trimming of a brisket is just really simple to do. You just you just don't get overwhelmed with it. You, you trim off a hard fat. You don't need to trim the brisket down to a seven by seven like a lot of the comp guys do. I'll, I'll get the fattest, ugliest brisket because that's going to have the most flavor to it because it's going to be fatty. And that fat is what we use in barbecue. Mm-hmm. I mean, the lower and slower we cook it, the more moist it's going to be. Yep. And amazing thing about I won first place uh, at the American Royal Invitational Perfect Score with briskets I bought at the Sam's Club on the way down to the contest. 
There you go. <laughs> you mean it wasn't Wagyu? Oh, no, it was not Wagyu. <laughs> I'm too cheap for that, man. No way am I paying for Wagyu. Uh, that's... Uh, but but again, when we talk about trimming just a brisket, it's just simple to do. And we just need to take our time. And so many people get so wrapped up because they see everybody. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. No, it's not. It's really not hard. Uh, you're separating out the hard fat. You're cleaning the brisket up a little bit. And you know, the great thing about a brisket is put it on the damn smoker and let it smoke. Right. Because that's what it is. And it's and if you have any heavy fat, trim it off once it's done smoke, once it's trimmed. It's simple to just pull the fat off if you have to. I mean, people want to trim every ounce of fat off a brisket, and that fat's our flavor. Sure. And the other thing is I don't do, and this is like, you know, this is blasphemy to a lot of guys. When I teach a class, I teach people how to do it without foil. Okay. I teach people pure pit barbecue. You don't need foil. You don't need paper. Just need to learn how to cook and have patience. And remember, we talked about the three, the smoke, the fire, the heat. That's what it's about. You know, yeah. we, we just, again, make it way too hard. Uh, I would just taught a friend that I've been friends with since high school. Um, I just taught him how to do a brisket. And he goes, this is too easy. It can't be this easy. Yeah, it is. He says, I was on YouTube University and I just watched this video and this guy from Texas, he was showing us, and he said you had to do this, and you had to go melt beef tallow, and you had to put it in the paper, and like, oh my god, no, we just we just make it too hard. They do say I, that. I don't, I don't spritz, I don't mop. You know what I do? So I put the brisket on, I go away, okay. go smoke or smoke, and I let the brisket cook, and I'll come back in eight to ten hours, and oh, okay, we're almost there. Yeah, that's simple enough. Yeah, that's my type then, of brisket. And then you add a pellet cooker to it, which makes it even easier. Chris, what are the three P's? Passion, persistence, and patience. Where'd you get that? <laughs> I told you I did my research. You did. <laughs> so those are my three P's. Yeah. And that's how I've developed what I do. Again, <laughs> the passion. My persistence, which have, which I'm almost over stupid in persistence, and more importantly, patience. So many people want immediate results. How do we get to them? We have to understand. We have to think out of the box. I look at what a lot of other people do, and I, what I want to do is I want to do it better. How do I do it better? I think out of the box, and I work smarter, not harder. Yeah, And that's where, where it comes down to the classes. Speaking of classes, I see uh, on your website where you're going. I mean, you're doing Indianapolis, Cleveland, Louisville. But I'll see you're going international to Canada. Well, I, I, I have, I've done a lot in Canada. Uh, I, I go up to uh, Lithbridge in Calgary. Uh-huh. And I've also done Vancouver. Nice. So, And they're the best. I, I love the Canadian. They're, they're the best. I've also cooked in Australia. I've done a month in Australia. Wow. And they're phenomenal, nice. phenomenal cooks, uh, phenomenal people. Uh, I was there for a month. I did 10 classes and probably to about 300 people. And I was from Melbourne, Sydney, did a couple in Sydney, went up to Brisbane, Coffs Harbor, Gold Coast. Unbelievable trip of a lifetime. Yeah. Wow. And I got to teach barbecue. It doesn't suck. 
and, and everything's <laughs> no, it bigger. It seems like they everything they're cooking is like big. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, we we had the Grill Sisters on um, Desi and uh, I can't remember but, Irene. Irene, yeah, and I saw a video of theirs, and it's just like they're putting. You know the shrimp, uh, not shrimp on the Barbie, but you know they're they're cooking their fish, prawns, and their prawns, yeah, and everything's yeah. tremendous. It's mm-hmm. oh, and it, it was it was just fun. It That's was amazing, fun. Yeah. and uh, again, very blessed. And uh, can uh, a lot of I do a lot in Canada. Just haven't been able to get up there. Really pre-COVID, um, just haven't been able to get back up there. Uh, usually have to fit it in. I go out to Utah. If you guys are familiar with Utah, yeah. I just my last uh, in October I was out in U- Utah, and I go. I'll go out to Moab, and I go four wheeling out there. So that's a nice. great place to go. Nice, beautiful, see, beautiful, beautiful town. I also see you're going to be in Phoenix, which is I go a couple times a year to Phoenix. So uh, I see yeah, you're going to be Phoenix, there too. Barbecue Island, uh, uh-huh. Mike West, one of the original. I bet I've been working with him twenty years now. When he had an itty bitty little store, and now he has four stores, yep. and he had a store about the, the the size of my office here, and we started there. Yeah, I've been doing classes in Phoenix, Tempe, forever, Ex- except in the summer when it's really hot. Yeah, it's hot, and, and it is really hot. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Now tell us, you are a big baseball fan, so we're just gonna this would this will be you know you've been on a lot of podcasts, a lot of shows. A lot of media, but I I don't know how many shows ask you about baseball. So let's talk. Let's talk some baseball. Love it. So we were at Kaufman Stadium. Great stadium. Love the Royals Hall of Fame there. Obviously, George Brett is a big feature there. Oh, Brett's the dude. Yeah. But also, Bo Jackson was was prominently featured. One of our favorites also was the Bo. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Bo, when he came to Kansas City, people made fun of him, which really? just irritated me for no reason whatsoever. You know why they made fun of him? No. He stuttered. Oh, really I didn't bad. even know that. Yeah, really bad. And uh, Ewing Kaufman basically said, hey, you're okay. You're okay. But he, he had a huge chip on his shoulder about he would never get out. He, he would never talk to people. He wouldn't get out in public and all that. He was just unbelievable. I loved watching him. And I, I you know, his story, you ever hear his story about, you know, running the 3940? He actually supposedly clocked a 3940. He wasn't he, he wasn't even running. He was actually working out at track and some football coach said, I need you to run this 40 to show these guys how fast you are. And it was scout. He ran a 3.9. This is never official. Fastest ever. Yeah. But other great things about Bo Jackson, I don't know if you remember in the All-Star game when he let off. It lasted it. There it went. But probably the most, two most famous things. One of them was when Harold Reynolds, they were bragging about how great Harold Reynolds was and how fast he was. He was on first. He hit, I don't know who was up, but Bo was playing left field and they hit it out the left field and Harold Reynolds was breaking for second. So he was turning second about the time the ball landed. And it was, it ended up being a, you know, rolling into the corners. Bo Jackson and the announcer goes, oh, Harold Reynolds is going to score. Nobody would be able to throw him out. Bo Jackson flat footed it 
from the wall in left field with his back against the wall, BB to Mark Farland, the catcher, and they tagged him out. Yeah, and well. he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe right. it. Uh-huh. But probably, but probably Bo's most famous thing in Kansas City is when he ran up the wall. Ran up the wall. Yes, they showed. Yeah, yeah. There's a video there, and they and they show that. Now, George Brett is actually a, a big barbecue fan. Well, uh, I think he's an investor with uh, Mitch Benjamin. Right. He's he's one. He's kind of uh, what is it? The White Whale. We we we've tried to get him. Uh, Great point. <laughs> Great point. You got it. Yeah. But uh, and you mentioned you knew Whitey Herzog's son, or what's? Uh, I actually still know. That. I still know Jim. Jim Herzog. Okay. Yeah, we were high school. We graduated the same year together. We we just we were friends from, I mean, grade school all the way up into high school. And we used to go over there, and he, his I'll never get a stair rail was made out of bats. He was just a normal guy. He would show up. I mean, he'd come to basketball practice and he'd come to baseball practice and you would never know, you know, he was the coach for the Royals. Well, I think at the time he was the coach for the Texas Rangers. Did he ever uh, get you uh, any good tickets to the game? Well, I don't. Well, we could have because Jimmy would take us up to the stadium and we would mess around in the stadium. So. We sort of we, we were able to watch from the dugout and things like that. When anytime nice. we really wanted to go, we could go. Nice. So, you know, it's just like the seventies. The Chiefs, uh, my school district, the stadiums in my school district when I went to high school in the seventies. Man, we got free tickets every weekend. We mm-hmm. would sit behind the uh, goalpost and get the balls. Yeah. Oh, nice. There, nice. there was a balmy ten thousand people there. You know. Out of yep. 80,000 stadiums. So I'm sure you know that Whitey Herzog actually started out with, with these Mets here back in the oh, 60s. The Mets, and he was, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he really wanted to be uh, the manager, and and the Mets uh, uh, offices didn't uh, let him uh, manage, so he left. But uh, oh. what, what, what could have been? Yeah. What could have been, yes, the white rat. Yeah. Although, yeah he's, over in St- he's over in St. Louis right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's uh he's ninety. Just got the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's ninety two years old, and and who knows? Maybe the Mets will. You know how they, they <laughs> the Mets love to bring back, or they used to. They used to love yeah. back to bring back guys who, you know, were past their prime. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although, look, uh, Tony Larusa came out of retirement and uh, with the White Sox, right? That didn't work out yeah. too well. But uh, yeah. I think Whitey might be. I, yeah, I, don't, I don't think Whitey's in good enough shape. <laughs> Chris, then growing up as a big baseball fan, give us your best baseball memory, whether it's going to the game, whether it's, I, I guess, when the, the Royals win. Well, which which championship are you more excited about? The one that they won, you know, with George Brett or the one that yeah. they won in 2000? Well, so, so in 80, they lost to the Phillies. Grr. Grr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and of course, '85 we beat St. Louis, so that that was the deal. That, of right. course, they beat Whitey, right? But oh, that's right. Prob- probably my my best my best is meeting Brooks Robinson, Harmon Kilbrew, Boog Powell. I love those guys. Yeah, I just loved them. Nobody's as good as Brooks Robinson. George old, old George Brett, he's close, but Brooks is the best. I like the big first basemans. 
You know, I, I like, you know, Boog Pal. He was cool. Uh, how about Gaylord Perry? Gaylord Perry, yeah. Hey, look who look who his last team was. Mariners? Royals. 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 Okay. You know, uh, Boog Pal has a, a barbecue place out in Camden Yards. And, yeah. uh, and Greg Luzinski has a place out in, in Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. Right. You, know, you remember the bowl? You remember the bowl? Uh, Greg Luzinski was the bowl? Oh, God, yes. Luzinski. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, what was he? Five five by five five. <laughs> a little tall on that, but he uh, he can hit it far. That's for sure. He was on yeah. that Phillies team that won yeah. the championship. Yeah, you know it was. You go there, oh. we. It's amazing to to. Let, to let, let me tell you the one I despise, Hug McGraw. Oh really? No. Oh, the nineteen eighty. Okay, nineteen eighty. Oh yeah. Uh huh. But but probably. Again, you're you're making me reminisce my baseball here, guys. How about Tony Gwynn? Oh, he was, he was so great. Just, he was so great. Oh, we had on, we just had on an author, Jeff, who who wrote what a what a guy. What what a what that was a good book. Yeah, on on Tony Gwynn. Scott what a Kingdon, pure hitter. Just yeah, just, Scott uh, Kingdon. Yeah, we had Scott Kingdon. Yeah. He wrote a book on Tony Gwynn. And uh, you don't realize, like, just how good he was. His you know, strikeouts. He almost had none. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tony Gwynn. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go up to the, uh, when I was in Marathon, I went up to the uh, Hall of Fame. And they just, Tony Gwynn had just gotten in. And uh, he was one of my, of course, we're at the same age, too, as Tony Gwynn and I are. And uh, I just, I just loved watching him play. Yeah, he was, he was unbelievable. One of the He's best. Pure. He one was pure. He was pure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What a shame that he, uh, the tobacco. Yeah, I that's know. What, that's Very what did him in. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in this area, in, in our area, we have a lot of uh, farming in this area. A lot of those farmers are still chewing tobacco. Mm. Yeah. And a lot a of them are getting oral and tongue cancer and yeah. it's a mess. Yeah. But uh, that anyway, that. Yeah, the can't the the Royal Stadium that was that was that was pretty cool. The Kaufman Stadium it was a nice nice experience. The whole it's very nice there. The whole Kansas City area just yeah. Well, most cool. people think we still have Indians. <laughs> well, we actually do, but we don't. We yeah. So yeah. there's a big reservation just west of Kansas City, Pottawatomie okay. Reservation, right. and. Uh, so yeah, we everybody still thinks we ride around on horses and have Indians and you know. Well, Kansas City is a great place to go. I recommend everybody go into Kansas City barbecue and for baseball. I mean, go to the Negro Leagues Museum because that's a great place yes. as well. Yes. Go check out all the uh barbecue joints. But Chris, please let us know your social media. You have a you have I know you have a Twitter and a Facebook and your website, so please let everybody know how to get in touch with you or how to find out about Three Little Pigs Barbecue. Well, just just uh, again, it's we're all over the web, Three Little Pigs Barbecue, and again, we're the guys out of Kansas City, uh, rubs and sauces. Social media, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I do do YouTube, but they are not produced and overproduced, and uh, I just do it down in my basement kitchen, and I just show you how how it easy it is. I don't make things complicated. Classes, again, uh, I do classes all over the country. They're very minimally priced because I want people to show up. I want people to have fun. My goal is repeatability and being able to repeat what we do. 
I teach science. I teach how easy it is. I just like having fun. And again, my parents always taught me to be humble and kind, and I always will be till the day I can't do no. barbecue anymore. Yeah. We, yeah. we appreciate it. Your your website, your Twitter or X is at Chris Marks BBQ. So if you want to follow him yes. on that platform as well, Chris, you are a gentleman. We really thank you for your time. Uh, it's been a, a really enlightening to speak to you about barbecue because, you know, you're one of the best. So thank you very much for being on well, Baseball. Thank you so much. And I'm very honored to be on your program. And I love talking baseball, as you can tell. Yeah. So, well, we, yeah, he doesn't see Jeff. He doesn't love talking barbecue. He loves talking baseball. Right. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks, well, thank Chris. you so much. And again, it was an honor. Thank you. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and if you like barbecue and you like baseball, then you have to listen to Baseball and BBQ with Jeff and Len. They always have the best guests from the world of baseball and the world of barbecue, all in one little package. So check it out, Baseball and BBQ with Len and Jeff. Okay, guys, take it away. And thank you, Chris Marks, for joining us on the, on the show. Leonard, he was fascinating. Yes, and you know what I forgot to mention in the beginning, but now everybody heard, he loves baseball. Oh, yes, he does. Yeah, and had some very interesting stories. You know, he friends with Whitey Herzog's son. Perfect guest as baseball and barbecue loves them both yeah he was he was great you know what else is perfect jeff baseballbbq.com that's perfect baseball bat handle tools grilling tools and accessories cutting boards i mean go to baseballbbq.com this is episode 220 and we're closer now than we were at episode 219 to the warmer weather, believe it or not. I mean, if you're not going out in the cold and you're waiting for the warm weather to grill, get get your stuff ready. You know, don't wait till the last minute. Get your new tools. Get these beautiful tools and accessories now so that when you want to have them, they're there. So do that. And now, Jeff. Well, that's great advice, Len. I just want to tell everybody what they can do to get in touch with the show. Oh, yeah. And that, please. Give us a call, 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballnbbq at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, with barbecues all spelled out. We have a Twitter, or X, at Baseball and BBQ. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weekly.com. Rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff. But Leonard, do you have a barbecue quote? Absolutely. Here we go. You ready? It's time for the barbecue quote of the week. Barbecue sauce is like a beautiful woman. If it's too sweet, it's bound to be hiding something. Lyle love it. And Jeff? Yes. You have something for us. Let me I do. Let me yeah, let me give you your intro because everybody's been waiting for this and we're not going to make them wait any longer. Here we go. Ready? Jeff has a baseball rant. Leonard. 
you know, it's only a week or two before the Hall of Fame announcement. And, you know, we love this time of year. I mean, it's the the newest Hall of Famers who's getting in. And, and then we get anticipate the speeches come July. But I got to tell you, I'm getting sick and tired of what I see on social media, on Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff. I mean, enough already. You know, there's all these baseball sites. And I'm not going to name them all because I'm not going to remember them all. But there's always some clown or two who's going to put on, oh, Barry Bonds, greatest baseball player ever lived. Being a Hall of Fame, prove me wrong. And then you have a whole litany of hundreds of of comments. And, oh, get it enough already. We know. We know what the issue is. Same thing with Pete Rose. Pete Rose, he should be in the Hall of Fame. But then you have all the all the comments. Enough already. Okay? It's, it's not, and the newest one I found on Twitter. You're not going to believe this. They're comparing Yogi Berra and, and Bobby Abreu. Now, if you ever saw this, it's a stat head baseball. You can compare two players, and if it's highlighted in green, it's they have a better stat in that category. And you're looking at this, and Bobby Abreu has all these stats which are better than Yogi Berra. Guess what? Yogi Berra is much better than Bobby O'Brien. Why would anybody put that and, and try to make that comparison? It's ridiculous. Enough already. We know if you don't like yeah, if you don't like the way the Hall of Fame is being conducted, open up your own Hall of Fame. Put it in your basement in your house. Or put it in the, on your wall in your apartment. Who cares? Enough already. Can we just move on? Jeff, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's a that's a silly comparison. Okay. Yogi Berra, who would catch both ends of a doubleheader. Yogi Berra, that that's yeah, that is absolutely ridiculous. And by the way, if you want to know who's going in the Hall of Fame, just listen to episode 219. <laughs> we had an outstanding group. You, me, Doug Shiding, John Van Patella. We gave our arguments and those are the people going in. So it, it's, there's no issue. So all these, all these <laughs> people with the, the social media, they should just listen to us. But no, come on, come on. You're, you're comparing different positions. You're comparing different eras. You're comparing Yogi Berra, one of the winningest players in baseball history, one of the most iconic, everything about him. I mean, we, we've had... Larry Berra, Lindsey Berra, there's the movie. Yogi Berra has a documentary. When's Bobby Abreu's documentary coming out? <laughs> I and don't I'm think he's ever going to have one. I, I mean, he was a, he, you want to say that he should be in the Hall of Fame? That's fine if you want to say that. But if you want to compare him to Yogi Berra, it's, that's insane. So nice rant, Jeff. Very nice. And Len, who do we have coming up? Elizabeth Mason. Fast pitch softball. You're going to love this. Baseball and BBQ is ex- extremely pleased to have our, on our next guest. Currently, she is the assistant coach for the University of Texas as Arlington softball team at Florida State University. She led the Seminoles to the 2018 National Championship. Not only is she an assistant coach at UTA, but she completed her first season in the professional league when she led the Texas Smoke to the 2023 Women's Professional Fast Pitch Championship. A lover of the game, she gives lessons and works in camp. She's another, none other than Elizabeth Mason. Elizabeth, welcome. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the introduction. Len, you want to start us off? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, You know what, Elizabeth, I have to tell you, just before 
we came on, I was watching on YouTube the LSU Florida game. Fast pitch softball is wild. <laughs> they there's you're playing the fundamentals are there, you know, the all the all the things that are no longer in baseball. I mean, I'm I'm seeing bunting. I'm seeing I just so I what a game. What a game. So so take us back to that game where you you guys won, right? Florida, you won well, that game. First, right? Lee, I'll have to correct you. Florida <laughs> State. Florida is our rival. Sorry, so Florida State. No, no, but I'll give you the pass. <laughs> um, but yes, LSU versus Florida State, the Super Regionals, my senior year, that was a crazy game. And I know you mentioned bunting. I think some baseball fans might argue that bunting should not be a part of the game, but Softball, we will use every tool possible. We want to win. So that is definitely game two um, is definitely a great example of just two competitive groups of athletes going at it, trying to scrap for a win. And it's always great to win like a big blowout game. But the games that are like back and forth, those are the ones that I like to be a part of. So Elizabeth, when when the pitcher releases the ball the arm goes spinning around <laughs> when that ball gets released at that at that release point how close is that to the batter it yeah, seems well, it's like about it's 44 close. feet i know the miles per hour is a lot a lot slower than um mlb but the reaction time itself is actually right. a shorter reaction time than um, most MLB pitchers are throwing. So it is very close. It is very difficult. It takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of, you know, time and work. But there are things you can do as a hitter to make it a little bit easier for yourself. So that's where the competition, the IQ kind of comes into play of, you know, different teams trying to figure out different ways to, you know, ultimately get on base more frequently. You know, I saw a clip uh, as Lynn was was talking about that you you hitting a home run, and it was a very nice gesture that the ball was given to your father, uh, <laughs> and that was that was that was terrific. That must have been uh, meant. That home run must have meant something. Yes, um, my parents definitely have a collection of FSU softball home runs. I have a few myself that I was a little greedy with and wanted to hang on to, but. ESPN just loved my dad and they always found a way to get him on camera or <laughs> I, I, I could do something. And it's like Elizabeth Mason, immediately the cameras are like cutting across to my dad, but he's just a great personality. And outside of that, uh, love him to death. He definitely um, helped me for sure on my journey with softball. And I wouldn't have made it to where I am today without him. Did, did he is he the one who got you interested in in softball or baseball or into the game? Well, I don't I wouldn't say he got me into it, but once I had expressed interest in playing softball, he was like a hundred percent all in for it. I was doing cheerleading, so I was doing cheer and dance, which I loved dance, but as a cheerleader for for starters, I wanted to be a flyer, and my coach was like, you know, you need to be a base, like you're too strong. And I'm like, 
I want to be the flyer. So uh, immediately I was like, mm, this isn't fun anymore. But the people in the stands watched the football players. They weren't watching the cheerleaders. So I was like, I want to do a sport where people are watching me. So softball, me and my friend, we both quit cheerleading together. And we were like, let's let's try softball. And it worked out, man. It worked out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Elizabeth, what, what positions do you play? Um, I'm a catcher utility, so if it comes down to it, you can put me anywhere besides the pitcher's mound, and I will, I'll figure it out. But what I'm most comfortable with, I like to say the right field line would be catching first base and right field. That's like my cup of tea, but if I needed to play somewhere else, I'll play anywhere else. I might even pitch. I have a really good changeup, but besides that, I'm no good. <laughs> it is the, I've noticed that the pitchers also wear a mask as, as well as the catcher is. That that must that mask must be, I guess, very light yeah. to wear. There's definitely years of engineering that have, you know, kind of evolved the face mask over the years. The catcher's mask for sure. And I'm sure there's picture evidence of that. But I remember when face masks kind of first became a little more popular. And since then, the design, you know, it kind of tweaks a little bit lighter, but more sturdy, more protective. Um, definitely catcher's gear as well. They're always trying to make our gear lighter. So that way, you know, we can maneuver ourselves and move behind the plate, but it still needs to be protective as well. So over the years, kind of new technology, it changes a little bit. But yeah, pitchers have definitely, it's been more common more recently that you'll see pitchers wearing those masks. Is, is it required at this point in the NCAA or it's not required now? Okay. No, no infield position outside of the catcher is required. Um, gotcha. But with how close you get... I, I would want to wear a mask. Yeah. I, I'd want to hide behind like one of those uh, when when they throw batting practice. I'd want one the of those net. up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even behind the net sometimes. Those balls, they they look like they are coming for you sometimes. But yeah, I, I think it's definitely becoming more popular. And I I can see why, you know, it's the you're the first man on the line. It's it's a dangerous position to be in. And if it if wearing a face mask means that you're throwing your stuff better, more comfortably, and you're striking more girls out, then all I'm all for it. You know, Elizabeth, some we had somebody on once, and uh, they would. T- I think it might have even been the um, the women from the All American Girls uh, Baseball League. You know, the the movie a league of their own was based mm-hmm. on, right? And they were talking about baseball and softball. They're really, I mean, there are similarities, obviously, but what's, what are some of the biggest differences between fast pitch softball and baseball? Up until recently, I would say the biggest difference, in my opinion, is like the length of the game. Like personally, sometimes it's a struggle for me to sit through an entire baseball game because it just takes so long, but Um, I know with like the introduction of the pitch clock and the games are definitely moving a lot faster, but everything in softball is smaller. You know, people like talk about the field size, like it must be so easy, but everything is also a lot quicker pace, like balls coming off the bat. We're a lot closer. So whereas you have more time in baseball, the field is bigger. So it's maybe harder to hit a home run. The field size is also like, really impactful in, I guess, the way softball is played and baseball is played. And then 
I guess the biggest difference that most people would notice would be like the pitcher's mound versus like the um, baseball mound that baseball pitchers throw off of, as well as accompanying that, I guess, the leadoff rule on the pitcher circle. And, you know, baseball, you can step off the bags while um, the pitcher still has the ball. But in softball, you can't actually leave the bag until the ball is released from the pitcher's hand. So that would be like how baseball players get your lead. Um, mm-hmm. You would be out in softball if you did that. So that's so it's harder. It is So Elizabeth is stealing harder then. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's harder. There are definitely some nuances to it a little bit, like reading certain pitches. If you can pick a pitcher and you get a gist for what pitches she's throwing, then maybe like if you see a change up coming, then, you know, you might have a little bit more time. Um, the ball's heavier. So the throw might not be um, as quick as like a baseball would be. So that might make up for the fact that um, you don't get to leave as early. But I think stealing in general is pretty difficult. That's why not everyone can do it. But I'm always I'm not the fastest, fastest, but I'm going to get uh, I'm going to get my handful of stolen bases in there. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, watching the game on, on ESPN and all the other uh, cable channels, very impressed by the way the, the 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 college students college players play the game i mean it you, you're right the 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 bases are, are small are you know shorter distance and the quickness that you girls go through like you know a hot shot to third base i mean wow it, it's right there and it, it's great game great, great game to watch actually everybody should try to check it out i agree everyone should watch softball come on guys yes <laughs> yeah, you, you've got two converts right here. We, we we were as honest as they come, and I have to tell you, I've I hadn't really watched it played at that level. I've seen fast pitch softball, mm-hmm. but played at that level, you guys were, uh, and it was impressive. So I, I definitely, yeah, I would recommend to everyone to go and look up like. World, women's college world series highlight reels that way you get to see the big moments and those kind of draw you in like wow like that's actually pretty interesting that actually could keep my attention and then you find the team nearby you so that way you can you know just like you would for any other home team you find your home team you know that there's going to be exciting things happening like you've seen it before but now you have a team to root for and the growth that has happened in our sport in the past like five, 10 years alone is amazing. It is insane. The amount of, you know, just money that's coming into softball support that's coming into softball attention that's coming into softball. It is crazy. And I hope nothing but just increased exponential growth on that. And I, I want everyone to watch softball. I think it is amazing. Um, I can't say anything but <laughs> positive things. <laughs> we know in, in, in men's uh, baseball, NCAA baseball, we have the, the powerhouses and Arizona State, you know, uh, Vanderbilt and all those. What what are the powerhouses in, in, in softball? I mean, I know FSU is, is very big there, but NLSU, any, any other big schools that are, yes, you know, should we definitely. keep an eye on? So I'm thinking, The power five, just like in any other sport, there's always like a heightened chance that you're going to play at that higher level. But right now, OU, Oklahoma, they are they are definitely um, the top competitors. That's kind of like the target on the back school right now. They just they have a ton of heavy hitters. It's like everyone that comes off their bench 
is your best hitter. And it's difficult to beat teams that refuse to go down without a fight in the batter's box. Like defense is so, so, so important, but their offense is just overwhelmingly powerful. And without like, like a fierce plan of attack with them, like mentally working their batters and things like that, you do not stand a chance. And that is why, in my opinion, FSU softball is the only school that really comes close to OU consistently. Like we lost to them. We had them one game, lost to them two games my senior year. Two years later, again, that's the the next World Series championship matchup is because FSU softball and coach Lonnie Alameda and the things that she kind of brings to her program it's so much softball IQ. You work and you work and you work and you work hard just like any other team when it comes to defense, offense, like physical strength, nutrition. But the softball IQ, she is unmatched. She knows the game so well. And that is why despite Oklahoma being so like they are head above heels when it comes to their offense, like it, they will scrap with those batters and FSU softball is something special. Definitely. You know, Elizabeth, you keep saying, Oh, you, when I hear you say, Oh, you, I think Ohio university, Ohio. That's why I had to follow <laughs> up with Oklahoma because in softball world, Oh, you, everyone knows that's Oklahoma, but, um, and that's where the world series is too, is in OKC, Oklahoma city. So it's like, they are like, up there but oh i do know there's like who who's their rival the, you have the ohio state what are they buckeyes well ohio ohio university their rival is miami miami of ohio oh, you know because they're not they're not ohio state they're okay you know. see there i am locking in my <laughs> football knowledge. that's osu ohio OSU. state right the osu is oklahoma state <laughs> <laughs> So, and Elizabeth, in in baseball, and it's it seems to be becoming more and more commonplace. One of the big injuries, especially for pitchers, but you see it in you know in um, you know regular fielders too, is Tommy John surgery. Is there uh, an injury? I'm going to assume, and I shouldn't, but based on the way the ball is pitched that maybe Tommy John surgery is, is not an issue, but, but maybe it is, but is there an injury that is more common to softball players? Um, yeah. Tommy John still happens from time to time. I've met a handful of girls who have had the surgery and um, go through with that due to injury. But I would say with pitching, I definitely see more like rotator cuff injuries, like torn like um, you get in there with the, the labrums and stuff like that. Um, and then I don't know why, but there definitely are quite a good amount of like ACL, MCL type of injuries. I think just because it's so quick, fast paced and the change of direction movements are like it happens on a dime. But ACL injuries are definitely not uncommon in the sport of softball. I, I've played with girls who have torn one just to tear the other one, you know, once they're cleared to play, like it's, it's crazy how it happens, but that definitely is a, like a reoccurring injury, I would say. Yeah. And are there some pitchers who are ambidextrous in us uh, in the softball that they uh, can pitch with both arms? 
Um, I'm sure there are some who claim to be ambidextrous, but I have never seen a, or heard of a pitcher who has had relative success throwing on both sides of um, with their both arms. But I would love to see it. Elizabeth, uh, you you played at FSU during the uh, pandemic, and I'm reading online here that you were instrumental in trying to get the, the game played uh, with an online petition. Could you tell us about that? Oh, yes. <laughs> that feels like so long ago. But um, I remember when um, we had just come back from Florida and Florida, and um, we were he- about to head out to Duke for a series out there. and. Um, because they were in our conference. So we were about to start packing up and we got the notification, I guess, that not just the game was canceled, but that season would be canceled. Because at first there was kind of murmurs that like the game was going to be canceled, but then it very quickly became season was going to be canceled. And there had been like small I don't know, conversations, but apparently there was talks that the NCAA was just going to kind of have an oh well type of attitude towards what had happened. And we were really just getting into the swing of things with season and we wanted to play. And for our senior class, it was like the the last game that they just played where they didn't even know was going to be their last game could have been their last games ever playing. And that just wasn't going over very well for us. So we were, you know, just talking to the other athletes even and talking to our friends. We were like, there's no way we, with enough voices, we should be able to, you know, impact this and make a difference. So we kind of started the petition of wanting to, you know, come to some kind of like, not just not to cancel everything altogether. Like, let's just see what can happen. Maybe we can play. Um, but then we actually joined with a petition that was like, and if we don't play like to get the year back of eligibility and that's kind of what took off. And luckily we got that year back and it was, you know, it was good just to know that some people got a chance to play again, just out of such an unexpected, um, situation circumstances. Now, Elizabeth, let's fast forward to the texas uh i guess it's the women's professional fast pitch is it is that just in texas that is and it was just it just started that league to take us now that's professional softball yes so right now there are two professional softball leagues you have the wpf women's professional fast pitch And that is more like a traditional league that you would think of where you're playing. Um, It's not just in Texas. There's a team in Oklahoma. There's a team in Florida. There's a team in Alabama. And this was actually the second year of the league. Last year was like kind of like the trial run. Um, And then we added more teams. And so we're supposed to be expanding again going into next season. Um, But the other side of that is AU Athletes Unlimited, and they kind of have their own structure. They're like a points-based thing. And, you know, you play on teams, but the teams switch kind of like week to week and you get points for yourself based off your performance. So they have, I think it's softball, basketball, volleyball, and they just kind of do their, they're like their own league into their own 
right, I guess. Um, but yes, so we I played with the Texas Smoke out of Austin, but there were three other teams as well. Um, so it wasn't just in Texas, but it was it felt like a lot of times we were in Texas because the amount of games we play, it's just it was like so much in such a short period of time. And how does that work as far as uh, you have a contract that, you know, it's uh, other yeah. professional sports, you have a contract and yeah. different so players sign player, different contracts? Yeah, every player, your contract is kind of personalized to you, um, depending on, you know, there were some girls who were only going to be there for part of season, but still wanted to play. So, you know, I'm sure their contracts would look different than there are players who do get two-year contracts. There's players coming out of the drafts that are drafted and get contracts. So um, it's all very dependent on, I guess, for one, um, your body of work as an athlete, um, how long you've been in the league also kind of changes things. I'm sure the more that you have experience with that, then I'm sure your contract gets a little more refined. Things look a little bit more different. But yeah, it is it is pretty standard. I would say um, you have a contract and you get paid. But now, what you get paid? It used to be that the the you know the major league baseball players would play the season and then during the off season they had to work. So I, can I assume that right now the but you know in the inaugural seasons of the this league nobody's becoming a uh, Nobody's getting rich. Let's right. put it that right. I mean, there are there are definitely players who um, make money that they can live off of, but that is not typically just from the league. That is just from them and themselves as a product. Like um, Jocelyn Allo, for example, she has one of she's one of the most popular softball players right now. She played at OU, and she is just a hands down phenomenal human being. So you cannot speak to a softball player who doesn't know who Jocelyn Allo is. Her her contract and how she negotiates that is definitely going to be different than even someone like me who I still played at like Power 5 Florida State. I'm a national champion. Like my body of work is extensive and it speaks for itself. But even in that aspect you, there are players who you know it's like that contract has to be like a legitimate like a a contract that she can live off of but even for most players we're in a three-month season your contract means for that three months so if you're not getting if you don't have work outside of season then you're not going to be um living off of what you get paid that is it's good pay for the three months that right you're there. Right. I gotcha. Okay. So Elizabeth, we have a question from our good friend, Doug Scheiding, who set up this interview and he apologizes for not being able to make it, but he asks, was it true in the WP, WPF finals when you were batting, you, you hit a home run and told not to run the first base, just hit the dinger. <laughs> I didn't actually hit the home run. So I had an injury and I wasn't really, um, I wasn't able to run at all. So they just wanted me to go in and hit. Um, but whatever happened, they were like, if you do anything but hit a home run, they were like, don't run. And I'm like, okay, like, 
I won't. And so I went and I hit a ball kind of in the gap. And so I started running because I was like, I'm not just going to stay. And so then I got to first base and they threw the ball trying to get somebody else. So then I ran to second and they were like, what are you doing? Like, I was only supposed to run. I was only supposed to like start walking if it was a home run, but there was no way I was going to just be like, okay, get me out. (laughs) Instincts take over, right? (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was just, it it happened (laughs) faster than I registered. (laughs) Is it true that uh, former major leaguer Brandon Phillips is involved with the Texas smoke? He's the owner. Yeah. So Brandon Phillips is the owner of the team. He actually co-owns with his wife, Jade, who is, wwe now I think. oh really Didn't so yeah that. she's she's like legit she is uh, a cool woman to be around. <laughs> now elizabeth the uh the texas smoke knowing texas and knowing it's called the texas smoke post-game pre-game brisket every day what, what was <laughs> <laughs> i wish that would be funny that would be awesome no the texas smoke it has to do with um, more so the heritage. Um, They have a post up that actually goes into detail about it, but we were fed good. You know, we got, we were not short on food, (laughs) but (laughs) brisket every day. Now that would have been nice. (laughs) (laughs) Doug could have made it actually. Right. That would have been 10 out of 10. So tell us about your career now at at the University of Texas at Arlington. Your assistant coach there. Yes, I'm an assistant coach there. Um, I get to coach with Fale Lua. So she played in the league as well. She played for the Oklahoma City Spark. So she was an opponent of mine, but one of my good friends and um, teammates from Florida State, Sydney Sherrill, she also plays with the Oklahoma City Spark. And so whenever we were playing against each other and I would be catching up with Sid, like I kind of met Fa and Sydney would always be like, you guys will get along so great. Like you guys should hang out. So she kind of introduced us. And when we did, um, whenever we did kind of interact, it was a great interaction. And she ended up telling me that UTA was looking for an assistant coach. So that's kind of how the connection was made. And I interviewed and it went amazing and they brought me on. So I work with Kara Dill. She's an all American pitcher from LSU, um, pitched, She's coached there. She's coached Texas Tech. She's coached at Texas A&M. So she has like a pretty extensive um, history in coaching and she's very smart. She's the head coach and um, a great coach to be learning from. And then there's also the other assistant coach, Joe, who um, she does a lot with the defensive stuff, was with Oregon. So there's just a lot of knowledge that it's like I'm teaching the girls, but I'm also learning so much in my first year of coaching. And it's been amazing. So what happens when UTA plays FSU? When UTA plays FSU, we better <laughs> keep them. <laughs> you know, I, I hope that it would be cool if I could set set something up with um, Coacha and see if we could get like a fall game in or get it on the schedule somehow. But I one thing about it, I'm a competitor and I may have gotten some of that competitiveness instilled in me while I was at FSU. But if we're playing them, I want to beat them just like I want to be anybody else. <laughs> Elizabeth, you grew up in, in Florida, I believe in the, in the Tampa area. Is that right? Yes. 
Correct. So now your life is in Texas. How's how's the difference? What's the difference between Florida and Texas? Oh, no offense, but I feel like people just can't really drive that well out here. (laughs) Every day, like Florida. Okay, in Florida, people can't drive because they don't want anyone to cut them off. So people are always bumper to bumper. Like everyone's going the same speed. People are usually going a little bit slower in the right lane. But it's bumper to bumper because everyone's like, you're not getting in front of me. But in Texas, like I, I would not be surprised to see a car just completely driving away on the road. Like every day is like I see a car accident and it's not just a regular car accident. It's like a three car accident, like lines lined all the way up. And I'm like, what are people doing out here? But Besides that, I love Texas. Like the weather, I like it warm. I know it's going to get cold here soon, but I'm hanging on to the warmth that is left. The people I have met out here have been great so far. And um, I love where I live right now. So everything is, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Texas, be good to me. (laughs) Well, Elizabeth, I happened to see an interview that you did. It was a short interview. And you were talking about yourself and you mentioned you're aggressive. You like to win. You guarantee a championship at that time. And but one thing that you you said, and I I've got to ask you, give you an opportunity because you never know who might be listening to this. You said that you could see yourself competing on either The Voice or American Idol. Okay. That was like now, a dream of mine. <laughs> all right. So Jeff Jeff hates my singing. So Jeff is kind of a judge. But uh, so maybe uh, he'll be the, like the Simon Cowell of the show. But no way. Not I'm a little nasally. I don't know if you can tell, but <laughs> I'm a little bit under the weather. So, so you're not going to. My, gonna, my you, you, <clears throat> So you won't sing anything for us just off the cuff? Oh my just, gosh, what would on. I even sing? I'm not like that great of a singer. It was just more of like a thing I wanted to do. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know any good songs? <laughs> How about Take Me Out to the Ball Game? Give us oh a little a little I, of Take I will not be able to sing that song good. Um, I could okay. sing with you, but then Jeff would, he would have to... <laughs> You'd see anger. I'm too embarrassed. I can't. Oh, I'll start you out. Come on. Okay, okay, Take okay. Like, me out to the to ball, the ball game. game. Take, Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if we ever come back. Oh, let's root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two. Three strikes are out at the old ball game. See, now, Elizabeth would move on to the next round. Len Len gets the X. Elizabeth, you're going to Hollywood. (laughs) Thank you. You guys are too nice. (laughs) You're very, very good. It's been a pleasure to get to talk to you. Doug is going to be very sorry that he missed you. Oh, we'll have to bring me back. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. we love that. What's next for your coaching now? But you're still going to play in the league? Is that? Yes, I would love to play again. I've been talking with the smoke about coming back and it would be really nice because last season I found out like 
a month and a half, two months before tryouts about tryouts. So I was like, had taken a couple years off and I was like, you know what? I can do it. Why, like, why not? So this year it would be great to like have the facilities I have and like have a full year to train. And I'm already on the field working like a full eight, nine months ahead of probably even more than that, 10 months ahead of schedule of what I was last season. So definitely looking forward to coming back. I I loved last season for what it was, but I know that with the kind of training that I'll have this year that I'll probably hopefully be happier with the next season. It's a new league. It's a, a sport that a lot of people, you know, a lot of people think of, uh, the, the, you know, softball, they think of the beer league and all that stuff. Uh, and, and again, it's played what precision. I mean, it's just played. There's so much skill there. How was attendance? Do you think that this is something that is going to catch on? More teams will come into the league and this will expand. Yeah, I think the attendance, Oklahoma City, their home fields are the fields where the Women's College World Series is held at. And they have fans that run deep. So a lot of girls that played at Oklahoma ended up playing with the spark. So playing there were definitely like the the best attendance. It was it was awesome. Our games had really good attendance, but their stadium is much bigger than our stadium was. I definitely think that it will catch on. It will continue to grow. It has been growing. I think softball in college is more invested into right now because, you know, it's your college. It's it's deeper than just the sport. But I definitely think with the introduction of like NIL and kind of being more attached to the player outside of just the sport and the school will bring fans along with like Jocelyn Allo is a great example. Again, she is a player that made fans when she was in college. So now she like, she is a huge asset to the league, frankly, because people want to come watch her play. So it's like, she brings a whole different level of viewership. I think more of that happening will continue to grow the game. And I don't remember who I was talking to. I think it might've been Kocha, but just about looking at the first hundred years of major league baseball and what it Mm -hmm. looked like. And you look at professional softball, it's like, we're just barely getting our footing, but we are in a place consider considering what it could be, you know? So we just want to leave it better for those who are coming next while still appreciating, you know, the opportunities we have that maybe those before us didn't. Absolutely. Well, that's, yeah, that's terrific. And we hope it grows and grows. Like I said, watching it on, on ESPN, uh, the, the Women's College World Series. It's really fun to watch. And, you know, we are speaking with NCAA champion Elizabeth Mason. Elizabeth, as we wrap up, you have some uh, Instagram or, or Twitter or X, whatever it's called. If you want to uh, tell people where they can follow you. Yeah, for sure. So my Twitter is at emason55. And my Instagram is underscore Elizabeth Mason. So I'm pretty active on both. And if you find me, say hi, <laughs> feel free. <laughs> Let me know that you came from the podcast. Comment barbecue or something. Put a little barbecue <laughs> emoji. And I'll know that you came from the podcast. 
<laughs> I like that. I like Elizabeth, that very much. Thank you very much. Best of luck to you, and we will be rooting for you. Hopefully, the uh, the WF, WPF gets on gets picked up by ESPN yes. and shown all over the world. Yes, that would be amazing. And thank you guys for the opportunity just to come and talk and grow the game. We enjoyed it. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. You know, Jeff, even though he wasn't in the interview with us, our friend Doug Scheiding, his footprint is still on the episode because it was Doug who introduced us to Elizabeth Mason. And we thank him for that. And we thank Elizabeth Mason. And we thank Chris Marks. And we thank everyone who's listening to this. And we want everybody to know we are presented by Bet Online. It is where the game starts. But after, what is this, five hours, six hours of podcast? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's time that we're not starting. We're ending. With the poet. Shel Krakowski. And the musician. Dave Dresser. And the song. Baseball always brings you home. And we'll see you next week on episode 221.